Some of you were singing along, I think. We tend to be devoted to a whole lot of things these days. Obviously, Olivia Newton-John was hopelessly devoted to John Travolta. I don't know, he's in a pool? I, I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, it's a, it's a whole other thing. Um, anyway, uh, people are devoted to, I think these days, right now, NASCAR, right? I mean, some of you. Okay, maybe not. It's not a NASCAR crowd. Yeah, me neither. Uh, some of you are devoted to football, and it's kind of off-season now. I guess we're devoted to the draft now around here, right? That's about it. Uh, we're devoted to baseball, even spring training. Some of you have been listening to every game, probably. Um, people this week are going to be devoted to March Madness uh, as they release the brackets. Uh, is it today, I think? And then you'll, you'll at least be devoted to seeing if your bracket matches up and if you can win the office pool or whatever you're, you're doing with that. People are devoted to technology, uh, they're, they're devoted to their phones and other devices, they're devoted to checking social media so they know what everybody else is up to, I guess. People are devoted to fitness and, and working out, devoted to their health and, and earning, eat, uh, eating a certain way, uh, making sure that, uh, that, that you're filling, we're, we're, we're devoted to certain ways of of living life. We get devoted to uh, TV shows, and some of you probably, uh, you know, you got to make sure you see your episode. Every, and this uh, this day and age, you don't have to, like, sit down and, and plan around that. You can just watch them all in one evening, right? You just, uh, you just binge watch whatever. And I, I remember, it wasn't that way years ago, but I remember growing up, we'd go to visit my grandparents. It, it got a little boring, to be honest. Uh, and, uh, but, but every afternoon, if we were there, uh, maybe visiting in the summer and we're there in the afternoon, uh, for an hour in the afternoon, we couldn't be very loud in the living room. We had to either play in another room or go outside to play for a while. They'd come and tell us when it, because their story was on. We've got to watch our story. Now, I... I think it was General Hospital, not sure, uh, something like that. One of those soap operas that they watched every day, uh, they were devoted to it. That's just what they did. Life stopped for an hour while they, you know, while the world turned, I guess, right? So uh, um, they were devoted to it. We get, we're devoted to a lot of things, but here's where, here's where the conviction flows in. How many of us could say that we are devoted to prayer? I wanted to show a hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, are you, I guess we don't say hopelessly, hopefully devoted to prayer, maybe. Maybe hopefully we're devoted to prayer. I, I don't know. I, I think this is, uh, this is where the term daily devotions probably came from, right? Uh, I'm sure it started out with the concept of being devoted to God, and so we're going to spend time with Him in prayer and, and with, uh, with Scripture. And, and over time, though, it's turned into this task that we check off our list, uh, it's turned into, I'm going to do my devotions. That phrase doesn't quite even make sense if we really think about it. Do my devotion. Do my devotions. Uh, spe- uh, maybe, what, what if we started calling it, I'm going to go spend time with God? That kind of sounds a little bit more like uh, an event and less like something to check off my list. Uh, but but we're, we're devoted to Him. Uh, it, it, it's, instead of... Um, Instead of being devoted to prayer, I think a lot of times we pray in desperation. So, so we pray out of desperation instead of out of devotion. 
Uh, when, the, when the crisis hits and we don't know where else to go and we've exhausted all our other resources, then we pray desperately and we desperately call out to God. And, and there's nothing wrong with prayers of desperation. Uh, uh, God wants us to pray when, when there's a crisis in our lives and when we're desperate. For, he wants us to live in a place of, of uh, being desperate for him. But those, and those prayers of desperation have been the starting point for the spiritual lives of many people. I come up to this crisis, I call out to God in prayer, I experience His blessing, and it spurs me on toward life with Him, and that's great. But just prayers of desperation cannot sustain spiritual life over the long haul. A, a devotion to prayer can sustain that life over the long haul. But, but if all I'm doing is praying when I'm, uh, when I'm in a, a crisis and a time of desperation, that's not what, uh, what will sustain me over the long haul. So today we're, we're going to c- continue this series that, that we simply called Pray. And uh, last week we looked at a lot of misconceptions about prayer and why those things may, uh, some of those things are keeping us from from praying, and we said that prayer helps us to commune with God and to conform to His will and to connect with His power. Uh, we said simply that prayer means uh, it's, it, we're connecting with God, we're communicating with Him, we're we're, we're spending time in that relationship with Him, and that's that's why we see that in the Bible there are example after example after example of people who were devoted to prayer. And it actually uses those that term terminology several different times. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus uh, has just uh, ascended, and then the church gathers, about 120 or so people, and they're gathered up, and they're, they're, the, what were they doing? In Acts 1.14, we find out the bulk of what they're doing is praying. And sure enough, after those uh, days that, that they gathered to, to, to pray, uh, then the, uh, the, came the, the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and, and the church was born and, and thousands uh, came into, instead of just 120, now we've got over 3,000 people that, that are calling on the name of Jesus and the church has been born. And, and what was it that they were doing? Well, there's four things described in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 that they were devoted to. It says they, were de- they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. One of the, one of the four things that the, the church was founded on, the things that they did on a consistent basis, they were devoted to it, uh, was to pray. Later, when the church continued to expand, and, and there were some who wanted uh, the leaders then to care for the needs of the, uh, the, the widows and others who, who, uh, who were in need of food, and they had certainly compassionate ministries and all those kinds of things, and the, and the leaders said, you know what, that's important, and we need to raise up some other leaders for this, though, because, because we can't spend the time with that, because we find in Acts 6-4, it says, we need to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the, the leaders of the church said, we need to be devoted to prayer. We need to continue to be devoted to this. This is good, but we're going to be devoted to prayer. Prayer has always been a central part of following God. It's the primary way that, that, that God and his people communicate. As, as we saw last week, uh, prayer characterized Jesus' life. And we said, well, if Jesus needed to pray, then certainly we need to pray because, uh, because uh, Jesus uh, had the closest connection. Obviously, he was God and, and God's son. And, and if he needed to pray, certainly we need to as well. Prayer was this lifeblood that, that, that kept him as he fulfilled his father's ministry. 
Many years before that, uh, uh, King David, uh, we have the, the book of Psalms and, and uh, King David and, and many others uh, wrote these poems and put them to music and, and wrote these songs and, and many of them are, are prayers poured out to God, prayers of, of, of confusion, prayers of praise, prayers of thanksgiving uh, and we, use, we, we still use many of those things. Thousands of years later now, we're using these prayers uh, that, uh, that, that David uh, wrote and, and sang uh, if we look at uh, just another example, the Apostle Paul in the, in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 4, uh, writes this letter to this church uh, that he's planted and he tells them specifically, okay, uh, you know, prayer has been a big deal. The, the, what do you, these new Christians, these folks, how do you live this out? Uh, Colossians 4 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So throughout the Bible, uh, there are there, we see this evidence, and there's many more uh, examples, but we see this evidence of people being devoted to prayer. Prayer is a big deal. Prayer has always been a part of what it means to follow God. Uh, down through Christian history, we see leader after leader practicing consistent, deep, habitual prayer. Just a few examples. Uh, uh, Martin Luther said, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. He often said that... Uh, that uh, Let's see, he often said this, he that has prayed well has studied well. John Wesley, you see him up there. God does nothing but an answer to prayer, he says. And then he followed that up by spending at least two hours each day in personal prayer. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native Americans and he kept a journal uh, which is filled with just account after account of, uh, of prayers and meditation and, and, and fasting and, and he wrote these words in his journal, I love to be alone in my cottage where I can spend much time in prayer. William Penn testified about a man named George Fox and he said about George Fox, above all he excelled in prayer. The most awful living reverend frame I ever felt or beheld, I must say, was his in prayer. Adoniram Judson, a 19th century missionary to Burma, withdrew from his normal work seven times a day in order to, quote, engage in the holy work of prayer. And so at dawn, at nine, at noon, at three, at six, at nine, and at midnight, seven different times every day, he spent time in private Prayer. John Hyde was a missionary to India, and he made prayer such a dominant part of his life that he was nicknamed Praying Hyde. Charles Finney was an evangelist during the Second Great Awakening in America, and he had two prayer partners, the last two up there on the, on the screen, Daniel Nash and Abel Clary. And Nash and Clary would go to, to the town where Finney was heading. Uh, Finney would be coming in a couple of days. They would go ahead of time. And they would, uh, many times they would rent a room uh, nearby where the, the, the meetings were going to be held. And they would begin to pray. Many times they would fast and pray. Uh, there, there's a story of a... Of a um, landlord or the woman that that uh, that rented the room out to them and Charles Finney came to town and she said I'm worried about these guys and and, uh, and she said I went in I could hear all these sounds and I went in and they're laying on the floor and they're calling out and I, I didn't know what was going on and, and he said they're spending much time in prayer they're laboring in prayer uh, Daniel Nash and Abel Clare it's interesting to note that after Daniel Nash died within four months Charles Finney stopped traveling as a as an evangelist and many folks would point to the fact that he no longer had that prayer support that he once had. Richard Foster said of, of these and others, For these explorers in the frontiers of faith, prayer was no little habit tacked onto the periphery of their lives. 
It was their lives. It was the most serious work of their productive years. To breathe was to pray. Now, all of that sounds wonderful and inspiring. And and as we hear those stories of people devoted to prayer, hopefully it spurs us on to do great things in prayer in our own lives. And I hope that's the case. I have to be honest for just a second that many times when I read stories like that, there might be a, 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 an ounce of inspiration, but there's always a whole bunch of, oh, man, well, I don't measure up to that. Well, there's a, makes me feel worse about myself a lot of times. Uh, we can get discouraged when we hear those stories and, and, and these people that have amazing prayer lives and I don't have that. And I, I, I've tried a little bit and maybe I'll, I'll try it and then I usually fail and, the, and there's the, all the stuff and the busy and it's just, and I just don't measure up. So no matter where you are in your prayer life today, I I want us to recognize that there is hope. That there is always this sense of, I can can, uh, get a closer connection with God than where I am. We always have the possibility of growing in this area of our lives. If we ever want to, if a a pastor ever wants to... uh, to bring conviction or make people feel guilty, one, one great way to do that is to talk about prayer, right? Oh, I should pray more. Well, can I just, let me just testify right now, that's me too. All of us are in that same boat. No matter where you are uh, in that prayer life, we can always uh, improve that connection that we have with God. And so as we devote ourselves more and more to the habits and to the practices of prayer, that connection gets closer and, and, uh, and stronger and we become more like God and his, we see his power at work in our lives and in the world uh, and, and we need to constantly be looking forward to and going closer in that issue, these issues of prayer. Before we dive into some of the how-tos of prayer, I think first we need to look at what we really believe about it. Because I think what we believe about prayer determines how we pray a lot of times, right? I think if we could see people's thoughts, a lot of times many people, if really got down to it, if we really got honest, uh, if we talked to people, maybe not in this room, maybe more than we think in this room, we, we think, yeah, I don't know, does prayer really do any good? Does it, does it really change anything? Uh, a lot of people aren't convinced that prayer really changes anything. Uh, theologian, uh, author, uh, Professor Dallas Willard once wrote, the idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. So if we don't think that prayer is really going to change anything, then we're probably not going to pray, right? Does prayer really change anything? I mean, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So, so are we going to change God's mind? Uh, God, it says that God doesn't change like shifting shadows. How does this work? And yet in the Bible, we also find many instances where prayer is the deciding factor that changes things. Clear back in Genesis, uh, Abraham got God to change his mind several times as God was going to bring his wrath on the city of Sodom. Uh, maybe you've heard this story, maybe you haven't. But, but Abraham says, hey, um, hold off a second there, God. Um, what if there's 50 people in that city that love you, that are righteous? 
would you hold off? And God says, okay, for 50 people, I would hold off. I would relent. And Moses then thinks for a second and says, okay, well, if you do 50, what about 40? Would you, would you do 40? This is an awesome story in, the, in, in Genesis. And, and, uh, and, and God says, okay, for 40. And then, and then Abraham says, well, you did 40. How about 30? And he's feeling a little bit like maybe there aren't as many righteous people as maybe I. And, and so, so he gets, gets down to, to 20 and then to 10. And God finally says, yes, if there are 10 righteous people in that city, then I will relent. And God continued in that conversation, in that interchange with, with Abraham. Moses negotiated on more than one occasion uh, for the lives of the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. God was fed up on more than, more than once about uh, what, they were, what they were doing and how they were uh, turning their back on him. And he was ready to wipe them out. And Moses stood in the gap and interceded for the people. And God relented. A great story uh, seeing what can happen when we pray is the story of Jonah. Jonah is this, this uh, uh, missionary, this prophet... And after his little deep sea adventure uh, with the fish there in the belly of the whale for three days, he, he decides he's going to do what God wants him to do. And what does God want him to do? He wants him to preach to these evil, wicked people in the city of Nineveh and tell them, you are wicked and evil and God's going to get you. And Jonah decided, hey, I can get into this story. And so he wandered through the city, huge city, and he says, God's going to get you and you're wicked and evil, and God's going to get you and you're wicked and evil. And then he went up on a mountain or a hillside outside the city to wait for God to get him. But the people of Nineveh called out to God and said, God, we're sorry. Maybe you'll relent. And God said, okay. And Jonah sat there on the hill, and there was no show, right? And he got hot and got bothered. Yeah, he was hot and bothered, I guess. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of a weird ending to the, the if you flip through Jonah, it's a real quick read. And, and it's a, it, Jonah kind of ends with Jonah being hot and bothered because God changed his mind and didn't do what he said he was going to do because the people cried out to him in prayer and God relented. Uh, there's, a, there's a great little section in the book of Revelation uh, the last book in the Bible talks all about what's going to happen at the, uh, to heaven and earth at the, uh, at the end of time and all those things. And in, in chapter 8, in Revelation, we come to this place where everything stops. It says, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, some people take that to mean there will be no toddlers in heaven. Um, I don't think that's what that means. But there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Everything stops. And during that time, an angel offers incense along with the prayers of God's people. And in Revelation 8, 4, it says, The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. And then that's followed by judgment on the earth. And there's lightning and thunder and earthquakes and all in response to the prayers of God's people. Author John Ortberg writes of these events. Usually we think of events on earth being interrupted because of actions taken in heaven. However, here it is the other way around. All of heaven comes to a standstill. The endless songs and praises of heavenly hosts suddenly stops. Why? Because someone is praying. Prayers of real humans like you and me interrupt heaven. Over and over again, the Bible uh, describes 
God interacting with humanity, and in that connection and in that exchange, God acts on the behalf of his people as they come to him in prayer. And if you don't believe that, you won't pray. If you do believe that, you won't stop. God works on behalf of his people. I remember hearing an evangelist years ago say, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't happen. R.A. Torrey said, Prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that he has is at the disposal of prayer. But we must use the key. Prayer can do anything God can do. And as God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. Oswald Chambers said, when you labor at prayer from God's perspective, there are always results. What an astonishment it will be to see once the veil is finally lifted, all the souls that have been reaped by you simply because you had been in the habit of taking your orders from Jesus Christ. Prayer does not fit us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater work. And the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and, the one who, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So what happens when we don't ask? What happens when we don't seek? What happens when we don't knock? Nothing happens. <laughs> but when we do ask, and we do seek, and we do knock, watch out. <laughs> We receive, we find, the doors are flung open. Why? Because God answers prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer can do anything God can do. And since God can do anything, prayer has power. I want you to hear a firsthand account of that. I'm sure you have bundles of stories of how prayer has, uh, has been impactful in your lives. One thing that's, uh, that's touched the life of our church uh, that I want you all to, uh, to hear about this morning is uh, Beth Dentler and her father and uh, some of the health issues that he has had over the years. Beth, come and, and share just briefly. Uh, I told her she's got 90 seconds, so I told her that probably means less than 10 minutes, so go for it. It's going to be more than 90 seconds. <laughs> My father has been very ill over the past year, but I wanted to share with you about the miracle performed in his life as a result of the power of prayer. My dad became a Christian as a teenager, and he raised his three children in a Christian household. He was never a drinker, so when he was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver last spring, it was a bit of a surprise. We were not encouraged to hear that there was no cure, and the only long-term treatment was a liver transplant. Up until then, we had been bugging him to get a knee replacement, but he hated the idea of surgery. By the middle of the summer, he had started the protocols for the liver transplant program at the University of Cincinnati, but he couldn't be put on the actual list until he went through a series of tests. That's when we found out that his kidney was failing as well. He wouldn't even consider allowing his children to get tested to see if we were a donor match, and we felt absolutely helpless. In the fall, he had started to retain so much fluid that it was uncomfortable to sit, so he stopped going to church. Thanksgiving was about the time that he stopped going to the table to eat meals, and his life consisted of going downstairs to sit in a chair all day and then being driven to the clinic for tests. By that point, they were tracking something they called a MELD score. The higher it was, the more of a priority he would be. 
it wasn't until I looked up the meaning of the acronym model for end-stage liver disease that I realized that without a new liver, my father was going to die. Over the past year, my father was on a lot of prayer lists, including this church's. I prayed for my father many times a day for healing and most of the time just for strength to get through each day. Believe me, the entire family needed prayer because it was a very difficult time emotionally. I remember going shopping around Christmas time and I called my father while I was in the aisle of the store. I told him I was picking out a gift for him and he said I didn't have to do that. I was trying to be funny when I told him, well, I tried to give you my liver, but you turned me down. Then he broke down crying and said he only wanted me to be happy and healthy, and it felt like he was saying goodbye. On December 20th, he was officially put on the liver transplant list, and we made the most of our Christmas celebration. He wasn't able to stand for pictures, so we just knelt around him. There was a lot of family prayer over the holidays, but it was very difficult to hear him pray with such a weak voice. Listening to him, what I heard over and over from him was, whatever your will is, Lord, that's what I want. And I tried to make that my prayer as well, which is not an easy prayer when all you want is for your loved one to be healed. On January 3rd, he was put on the kidney transplant list. In the middle of the month, he collapsed, and he spent a week in the hospital being treated for an infection. The doctors told us that even if the perfect liver had come in that week, They wouldn't have given it to him because he had to be infection-free. Then they told him he had to work on building his strength up, but that was a real challenge because he had pretty much stopped eating by then since everything he was ingesting ingesting, uh, was being retained. The first weekend of February, we had reached a true emotional low point, and I now know what it means to say that the darkest hour is just before the dawn. All we could do as a family was literally cry out to God to sustain us, no matter what his will called for. And on February 7th, a Tuesday evening, the call came that we'd been waiting for and praying for. They'd found a liver and a kidney match for my father. Tim and I packed up within the hour. We got to Cincinnati at 2 a.m. on February 8th, 45 minutes before he was taken into surgery. Looking back, what struck me about my father was how much peace there was on his countenance. He knew he was going to be okay no matter what happened. Five hours after the surgery began, it was over, and my father's healing began. He was released from the hospital ten days later, and he's made remarkable progress. His appetite is back, he's been able to start walking, and he's getting around better than he has in months. And we've been sharing with anyone who listens that God answered our prayers. Last Sunday, my father gathered his family around and gave us his testimony. He confessed how foolish he'd been last year in refusing to even consider a knee replacement because, as he said, he wanted to go to heaven with all the same parts God had given him. I think he forgot about his false teeth. (laughs) He said that as he lay in bed after the transplant surgery, the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm in charge. You are what I want you to be. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all mine. And if I want you to have something different, I'll give it to you. It's still mine. And my father said that this revelation gave him a peace in his heart that God is in charge. He told us that with the time God has given him, he wants to do some good in the world. He started already, I think, by testifying whoever he talks to 
praising God for his goodness and answers to prayer. And it seems that along with the new kidney and liver, God has given him a softer heart. I don't know why God chooses to perform miracles and heal some people while others don't seem to receive healing. What I do know is that God wants to use us in whatever situation he places us in for his glory. Through all of this over the past year, I learned that the most valuable prayer we can pray was modeled by Christ himself in the Garden of Gethsemane when he desperately wanted to not go through pain and sorrow. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And I've learned that only then do we receive the peace that passes all understanding. Thanks, Beth. God answers prayer. God works on behalf of his people. As she said, we don't quite, we can't quite draw the line straight all the time, and sometimes we pray for things, and, and we'll talk about this in the coming week, uh, maybe some of the reasons why that is or, or, or not, and, and most of all, it's, it's a mystery. We're not God, and he is, but, but we do know that God works in answer, in response to the prayers of his people. God brings healing. In Harry's life, he brought not only physical healing and through the doctors and, and miraculous recovery. Uh, you didn't go into that a whole lot, but uh, it's kind of blowing the doctors away as far as how quickly he's recovering from all of this. And, uh, and, and he just he is quick, and they all are quick to testify that that's, that's God's work in, in his life, making that happen. Uh, but as she said, not only physically, but also giving him a softer heart, not, not only physically, but also emotionally, also spiritually. God brings healing. God works on behalf of his people. So how do we do this? Today I want to take just a, just a couple more minutes here. It's, preachers say a couple minutes. That means, you know, nothing. But uh, anyway, I, I, I'm self-aware. I know that. But uh, as, as we uh, come out of, of that and recognize and know what we believe about prayer, and if we believe that God changes, uh, God works on behalf of his people, then we will pray. So how do we do that? And today I want to look just specifically, just kind of scratch the surface, uh, two different types of praying, scheduled prayer and spontaneous prayer. And the, the first one, scheduled prayer, we need to have regular, consistent, daily times of personal prayer. Uh, it's essential to our relationship with God. And in Psalm 55, uh, verse 16 and 17, it says, As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Daniel 6.10, three times a day, he, Daniel, got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Matthew 6.6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Patricia Shire, who played the, uh, the, the realtor in that movie, the War Room movie, um, she was interviewed later and... Uh, Said, said this of her personal prayer life. She said, the enemy is strategic about his attacks against me and my family. I want to be strategic when I pray. And the first part of being strategic in our prayer is to plan for it, to schedule it. There need to be times of scheduled prayer in our lives. And some people might push back on that and say, well, I don't want to just do it just because it's, it's just this routine thing that I do. I want there to be meaning to it. I, I want to feel it. I, I don't want to just be a, a, obligated to this. And I would say that if you wait until you're feeling it, you won't pray much. There is something to having the habit of prayer. That, uh, that, that, that the schedule of this regular time and place where we stick to it and prayer becomes a priority in your lives. 
I, I talk about this uh, uh, with, with some of the details in the, uh, in the Grow Deep booklet. And if you haven't grabbed one of these, there's a few more out on the table in the foyer. Uh, talks about the means of grace. And the first thing that, uh, that's covered there is, uh, is prayer. Uh, and uh, so as we encounter God's grace, we do that through prayer. Uh, also uh, available on the newsletter page of the website. Uh, you can download that as well. So that's just uh, that some of those details are there. I won't rehash them all, but, but uh, it's important to have these scheduled times to spend with God. Think through your, your own schedule. When can you do this? It, it should be a time when you can get all alone. You can be upright and alert. Sometimes we, we say, oh, I'm going to pray when I go to bed, and then we end up... I mean, there's, there's worse places to fall asleep than in the arms of Jesus, I guess. But but um, need to be somewhere where you're upright and alert, where you have access to a Bible, maybe other devotional materials. Maybe you have a way to write things down as God bring thing, brings things to mind. It's, it's helpful to have the same place uh, because it minimizes distractions a lot of times. It, it's f- familiar, it's safe, it becomes holy ground in a sense. Uh, in, in that clip you saw there, uh, it was an actual closet in that, in that woman's house. Uh, but she, she had everything she needed right there. She could close the door, it would be a private place. Um, so we need to have these scheduled times. Now, you, you hear something like that, and you go, yeah, you know what, I really do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray an hour every day. And we get overzealous a little bit sometimes, and, and we commit to praying. For, if, if, if you're uh, currently not in the habit of praying, can I just say, bite off a little bit and grow into it? If you're spending zero minutes, start with five. <laughs> uh, schedule it out. Five, I'm guessing that if you, you're going to hit five minutes uh, and you're going to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not done. And then five minutes, it's, it's easier to, to grow five minutes than to feel guilty because you couldn't fill an hour in prayer. Uh, it, 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 schedule that out and don't be uh, discouraged or, or feeling guilty, uh, but uh, let that grow over time. Uh, some people get hung up over positioning. Well, how do I, do I sit? Do I lay down? Do I, do I uh, uh, stand up? Do I close my eyes? Do I fold my hand? I, I found this little poem this week, uh, The Proper Way to Pray. The proper way for men to pray, said Deacon Samuel Keyes, at least the best for me, is down upon my knees. Oh, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with arms outstretched and wrapped and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow, that posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head serenely bowed. Seems to me his hands should be serenely clasped in front, both thumbs pointed toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. I fell in Hitchens' well the other day, head first, said Willie Brown. Both my feet was a-stickin' up and my head was a-stickin' down. I prayed a prayer right then and there, the best prayer I ever prayed. The prayingest prayer I ever prayed was standing on my head, he says. <laughs> Position is not important. Uh, whatever you need to do, to get alone with God and connect with Him. Schedule it. Spend that time. And then prepare yourself as you're doing it. Uh, Henry Nowen says, our inner life is a lot like a banana tree filled with monkeys jumping up and down. It's not easy to sit in solitude and trust that God will speak. So beware of the monkeys that are jumping around in your head. Uh, and try to quiet those those things down. Uh, it's hard for me sometimes. I, uh, I usually uh, use the Bible app on my phone. Well, there's a whole, other, whole lot of other apps on my phone, and um, I might get distracted by some of those other things, and sometimes I need to not 
spend time with that Bible app, but maybe some other thing where I'm not going to be... Quiet those things. Prepare yourself so that you can spend time with God. Minimize those distractions. And, And so as you do that, pray. Just talk to God. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll go in depth in the coming weeks of specific things, uh, specific ways to pray, some of the strategies and different things that are involved. But ultimately, this is about connecting with God. It's not about performance. It's not about number of minutes. It's not about uh, number of days. It's not about I'm praying more than so-and-so or, or better than so-and-so. It's about your connection with God. It's about that relationship. So spend time in prayer, schedule it. But then there should also be uh, spontaneous prayer because there, there's that pesky little verse in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says pray without ceasing, right? Keep on praying. And, and so that, that sentiment is found other places too. How do, we, how do we do that? I mean, I have to live life. I have a job and a family and hobbies. So how do we pray without ceasing? So if, if prayer is connecting with God, then basically what that means is we're going to keep the relationship intact. And you have relationships with a lot of people that you don't talk to uh, uh, 24 hours a day. If you did, the relationship might actually not be as good, right? Um, but uh, you have relationships with people you, that, that are across the country or around the world. And you'd say, yeah, we still have a good relationship. And, and from time to time we catch up or we, we might email or, or text or, or talk on the phone or, or write letters. Or, but, but, but it's not a constant thing. But that relationship is still intact. And I think that's a lot what this, this is all about. We're not spending 24 hours a day in the closet, but we're still in contact with God. And as things arise, we can lift them up in prayer. One of the resources that came out of that movie, uh, War Room, uh, is, uh, is a book and a Bible study series called The Battle Plan for Prayer. And in that, uh, they, they talk about some prompts, some things that, that when things happen in your life, uh, that they can prompt you to pray. And a lot of times that's what this uh, spontaneous prayer is all about, that when certain things happen, we should be praying. And so they go through it just real quick, and you've got a big list there, and you thought we were going to go on for the next 30 minutes because there's that big list. Just real quick, we're going to dive right through it. New things. When something is new, a new day, a new year, a new baby, a new job, a new whatever, dedicate those new things to God. Make that be a prompt for prayer. Needs. As people and situations come to mind uh, that, uh, that, that people might bring to your mind or, or say, hey, this is going on, use your first, make it your first response to pray about those, those needs. Times of confusion can be great times to pray. A lot of times we get confused, I don't know what to do. Well, that's a great time for you to go, God, I need direction. Uh, help me to have wisdom and guidance. Times of crisis, uh, uh, as needs arise during, during your day and there's a, there's a crisis, uh, instead of prayer being the last thing that we do, it should be the first thing and we lift those things to God. And As you're watching the news, maybe, instead of getting all uh, depressed about what's going on in the world, uh, make that a habit, uh, a time of prayer and lifting those situations to God. Uh, sin is a time for prayer. As we uh, are convicted by, uh, by God's Spirit and He says, hey, you're, you're messing up here. That's not a time to go run in the other direction and try to hide it from God. That's the time to confess our sin. And God promises that when we do, He will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Stress. Uh, so much talk about stress and anxiety and, and we go through um, all of these issues uh, today. But the Bible specifically says, don't Be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. In Philippians chapter 4, stress is a great time not to worry and stress out and wring your hands. God is not wringing his hands. 
and we can bring these needs to him. Burdens, things are going wrong, pray. Blessings, things are going great, pray. Use these things, and I'm sure it's obviously this is not an exhaustive list, but it certainly many, many things prompts to get us to pray. I guess what I'm saying is that there is never a time not to pray. So be spontaneous. Practice prayer. Let the conversation continue throughout your day. Let prayer become your first response instead of your last desperate move. Be hopefully devoted to prayer. Not so that people will be impressed with your prayer life. Not so that you can check it off a list and say, Oh, this is, I'm, a, I'm a great, great, holy, spiritual person. Not so that you can get good at prayer. Be devoted to prayer because you're devoted to God. God works in response to the prayers of his, his people. Two big things to, uh, to fill our lives with in this area of prayer is scheduled times of prayer and spontaneous prayer. And if we're working toward those things, we will continue to grow in becoming people of prayer. Let's stand together. Lord God, we thank you for the amazing gift of prayer, communication with the King of Kings. Lord, I, I pray that as we, as we go from here, that we will go with, uh, with marching orders to make our connection with you a priority. Not the last thing that, uh, that, that we do if we have time, but the first thing that determines everything else. Lord, I, I pray that if, uh, if there are those here today who, are not, uh, who don't have a regular scheduled time of prayer, Lord, I, I pray that they can do the work with their schedule and with you and, and work together to come up with a time to do that. Lord, I pray that as things come up in our lives each day, that, uh, that we can constantly be in contact with you, that we're not just leaving you at our time of devotions in the morning, and living our life, but that we're constantly in contact with you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be people of prayer, not, not just so we can feel like we're holy, but because as we get connected closer and closer to you, we become more and more like you. And your kingdom comes and your will is done in our lives and in this world. Lord, we praise you for answered prayer, and we thank you for Beth and, and the story that she shared with us today, the, the uh, amazing things that are going on in her father's life, and we give you the praise for that. Certainly, you have used doctors and, and uh, uh, situations and circumstances, but even beyond that, you are working and moving in ways we cannot even see, and we give you the praise for that. We thank you that that story is, is uh, replicated over and over again as we look and see how you work on our behalf. And Lord, we, we are careful to give you glory every step of the way. Go with us now. Empower us to be your people wherever you take us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.